Welcome, everyone. I'm Miriam Knight, and my guest today is Ziad Masri. Ziad is an entrepreneur and author who was driven early in life by the seemingly conflicting desires of worldly success and deep spiritual fulfillment. He set out on a 15-year journey of self-discovery, and during this period, he became an independent trader in the financial markets and built a highly successful coaching business, all while exploring ancient spirituality, non-mainstream science, and mystical practices to find the deeper meaning of life and the universe. Ziad has integrated his understanding of these ancient and modern pieces of knowledge into his new book called Reality Unveiled, which we shall explore today. Welcome, Ziad. Thank you very much. Ziad. I'm very happy ah. to be here, Miriam. <laughs> there you are. I would first mm -hmm. like to congratulate you on this very ambitious effort to synthesize science and spirituality and make sense of the meaning of our existence here. I think your book is going to be very helpful to readers of just about any background, so kudos to you. Well, thank you, I appreciate that. Let's start with the nature of reality, which as your title suggests, you will unveil. So what is the evidence that proves that our reality here is an illusion? Yeah, so, I mean, basically, when you look at the world as we are today, you see all human beings, most of us, for the in general, for the most part, just assume this is what's real. This is a solid physical reality, and this is all that exists. And yet, an analogy I would find helpful to kind of open people's mind to begin with before I get into the scientific evidence is, think about when you go to sleep at night and you have some dreams, when you are sleeping and you're dreaming, those feel 100% real. You can feel, mm -hmm. feel things physically, you can see things, uh, there's emotions, everything feels real. And unless you're having a lucid dream in which you're conscious of the fact that you're dreaming, you are unconscious of the fact that you're dreaming and you think it's reality. But then you wake up and you're, oh, that was just a dream and there's just a whole new reality there. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. if we want to think along the same lines, let's think, let's go the biggest scale. Let's go to whatever it is, this power that created the universe. Um, if you're religious, you can call it God. If you're spiritual, you might call it uh, the infinite or all that is, or even atheists would have to agree at some point that something created this. You know, maybe, you know, they call it randomness, but whatever it is, there's some creator. Now, this all-powerful creator, um, let's assume this all-powerful creator is having a dream. Now, that dream by something that powerful could be this reality. And to us, it would seem so real, but in, in reality, there's even a level where you wake up from that and you go, oh, that was just a dream. And when you were in it, everything seemed so real and there was emotions and everything felt real, and yet it wasn't really real. And so that's kind of a way to open your mind up to, hey, could this be a dream of something larger? And what are we? And we'll get to that, you know, in later parts of the interview, I'm sure, about what is, what are we in, in this dream? But let's get to the science, because I think that's what will interest people the most. And so we have the greatest scientist in history, 
uh, or the uh, definitely the most popular, Albert Einstein, saying, reality is merely an illusion, albeit a very persistent one. Now, people probably have heard that, and they might think about it a little bit, but then they might think, oh, that's just philosophical or metaphorical. But what I put forth here today is that what if that's literal? And when we look at the science, we find out that it is very literal. And so just to give a couple examples, uh, you know, when we were at school, we studied how the atom is, and we studied that there's a very solid physical nucleus, and that there's these electrons and protons orbiting it right in very neat orbits. But then when quantum physicists actually tried to study the atom, they found that there's nothing really there. It's literally 99 point, like, 15 nines, <laughs> um, empty space. Uh, what they found was that this nucleus was so small that it's, for all intents and purposes, not there. And these orbiting electrons and all that are just as insubstantial as a puff of smoke. They literally pop into and out of existence like waves of potentiality that seemingly are physical and then are not. This is at the quantum level. Now, Newtonian physics would tell us, no, everything is solid, everything is real. But what scientists have discovered in the last century is that nothing that we regard to be real is actually real. And Niels Bohr, who's basically considered the founding father of quantum mechanics, actually said that everything that we regard to be real is essentially made of things that cannot be regarded as real. Now, that seems very strange to us because, you know, you're sitting there, you feel the chair, you, you hold a book, you feel it, you know your own body, everything seems physical. So how can it possibly be that nothing is actually there and yet everything seems so physical? Well, another brilliant scientist have, has given us the answer to that, and that's Nikola Tesla. And he said, if you want to know the secrets of the universe, think in terms of vibration, energy, and frequency. So what you find when you really dig into the science is that everything is really just energy. Even Einstein said E equals mc squared, right? Well, people think, okay, that's just the formula, but really think about what it actually means. It doesn't mean that, you know, just mass equals energy. It equal, They are the same thing. So mass and, and actual physical matter is energy at its basis. And so when we look at that, what we find is that what seems physical is just different forms of vibrating energy. And the higher the frequency, the more, quote-unquote, invisible it is to us, and the lower, the more seemingly solid and physical to us. It's just very dense, compact energy. And so that's what we find. And then if you want to look deeper beneath that to understand how this can all be truly an illusion and a dream, you go to what's called, what has been called the most infamous experiment ever, called the double slit experiment, where scientists basically just took this electron machine or, and just fired electrons through these two slits and saw what was being recorded on the other side on, on this recording. And they would expect that since they thought of electrons or photons of light as solid, physical, real particles, they'd expect that if you fire one at a time through one slit or the other, at the end you'd see just a pattern of two vertical lines in the shape of the slits on the back wall. And yet when they did it, they didn't find that. They found many different lines all across the you know, recording device, and they found it completely very different than what they'd expect. So they thought, well, how could this be possible? The only way that this pattern could show up is if we didn't fire physical particles, if, but rather a wave. Because if a wave, you fire a wave at something, let's say a wave of water, where the peaks meet, you're going to get 
uh, amplitude and it's going to become a bigger wave. And then when the troughs meet, it's going to cancel out. And then that could create many different lines. But that's the only way. But they're like, well, we didn't fire a wave. <laughs> we fired particles. How is this possible? So they decided to investigate it and they put up an actual recording device. And when they recorded it, guess what happened? All of a sudden, the, it started acting as particles again. All of a sudden, they see only two lines. So they were absolutely baffled. And then finally, what they discovered was, while par they seem to be particles, all physical matter, all the way from the electron or photon up, are really just waves of potentiality, waves of energy. And only when we, they are observed, recorded, only when consciousness interplays with them do they become, quote-unquote, physical matter. But really, they're just waves. Kind of, You can think of it as waves in an ocean. If you, you can see a wave and say, that's a particular wave, but can you really say that it's apart from the ocean, that it's not part of the ocean? No. And so that's really what we find out, is this whole reality that we think is real is actually just different forms of vibrating energy and when we really find out is that it's all interconnected we're all part of it and there's not even though i have a physical body you have a physical body and we seem to be apart and separate where does one wave of energy end and the other begin there is no cutoff point so it's an illusion to see that all these separate things people buildings trees rocks and all that but Underneath it all, underneath the illusion, they're all actually completely connected as waves of energy. And so that's kind of more of what reality actually is. And that has very important implications on the practical level, which we can get to. Okay, well, so we have this sea of undulating energy, uh, waveforms, particles, whatever, what makes mm -hmm. it coalesce into you and me and rocks and trees? Mm -hmm. So that's basically the mystery behind it all and what's called, uh, what has been called consciousness. Uh, others have called it uh, the unified field. Uh, there's, there's very many names for it. But this is, you know, what Max Planck said is the consciousness behind all matter. This is you know, you want to call it the creator, <laughs> you want to call it whatever name you want to give it, it is the source of life. And when you look at it that way, life is not just defined anymore as biological life. It becomes everything is living in the sense that everything has its own consciousness and awareness. And whatever created it, you know, creates infinite variables, an infinite number of different distinctions and frequencies. And so you have the human being, you have the rock, and you have all that. And it's extremely purposeful. It's all there for a reason, which we can get to, which combines science and spirituality into this whole cosmic and spiritual evolution forward into something very uh, specific. So um, it's all related. Now, People might hear the science, and this can go over a lot of people's heads, and you know, I'll be the first to admit that unless you're a quantum physicist, you are not going to understand this all. <laughs> and I can't say that I understand all the formulas and stuff, but I get the concept. But really what matters is the practical aspect. So how does this actually relate to reality? So for instance, we have studies that have proven this to be true, even if we don't understand the math or the physics behind it. Okay, which is what I've tried to show in my book is the simple practical things that can be easily understood. Ziad, let's 
go back to the the concept of a universe filled with um, consciousness vibrating at an infinite number of frequencies and coalescing into things like galaxies and planets and ETs and humans and all that stuff. So what... um, I don't know. I, I don't even know where to start. It's it's just so overwhelmingly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, let's start at everything. the practical level. Uh, yeah. Let's start at the practical level just to continue the thought I was on, so people can kind of understand this how it impacts them on their actual uh, in their actual reality. So they see these these aren't just theories. I mean, yes, the greatest scientists in our history all have now agreed that reality is not what we think it is, that it's fundamentally an illusion. But what proof do we have in everyday life? So, for instance, there was a study done in the 1970s um, with a group of 7,000 expert meditators, right? And what they did was they uh, meditated coherently together for a period of three weeks on peace and love and so forth. Uh, Now, what happened during this three-week period was absolutely remarkable. What scientists found that who were studying this uh, this particular experiment, they found was that the global crime rate dropped by 16% during this period and global terrorist activity actually dropped by 72%. Even things like car accidents and all that dropped. Now, these were perf- actual scientists, so they looked at everything from weather patterns and holidays and every possible thing that could explain this change and they ruled every single one of them out. Basically, there was nothing different about this period than any other period, and yet you saw all these remarkable differences. So then you have to ask yourself, how could this possibly be true? How could this be possible unless consciousness is fundamentally this energetic wave that is connected to everything else? And what these meditators did was create this coherence in the waves of this consciousness that rippled through and affected all of humanity essentially without the rest of humanity being aware. So crimes dropped and terrorism dropped and all that. Well, that could only be possible if what the scientists are saying is true, right? So this is a a nice, specific, practical example that anyone can understand. Another one is the work of Dr. Emoto, who's from Japan. Now, a lot of Western scientists have criticized this work, and I think that's because um, our idea of Western science is a bit flawed because it completely takes consciousness out of the picture. Uh, but, you know, he showed that when he, what he did was an experiment where he would show pictures to water or pray or, or show words to water, and then he'd freeze that water and then show the actual crystals that would come out after he um, froze it. And what he found was that, for instance, if you put the word evil, you'll see a very um, kind of what we would call ugly water crystal. But when you put love, it's this beautiful shapes. And so the water was responding to the consciousness of the human being, which means that it is fundamentally aware at some level. Now, a lot of people have criticized this study because they couldn't reproduce similar results. But recently, I just read a study of German physicists calling it the discovery of the millennium, which pretty much have proved these findings in a different way, where they found that water has memory and water is affected by each person's um, consciousness that interacts with it in a fundamental way where they were able to actually, with new technology, photograph the microscopic patterns in each drop 
and found it to be different from the same sample of water based on whichever person was taking that sample. So some incredible stuff that just proves these theories that it's not all as it seems. I would love to look into that. That That's very, very intriguing. And I think one of the points that yes. you make is that just as the meditation meditators meditating on love were able to calm the planet uh, in terms of mm-hmm. unfortunate events, um, people going into fear and uh, violence are able to affect the planet as well. So, you know, that gives us pause to think of what is going on in the world today. But let's not go down that particular rabbit hole. So, um, <laughs> uh, getting back, yeah. uh, getting back to uh, the the connection among us. Um, why do you? What do you mean when you say that we are multidimensional beings who exist simultaneously on many levels? Okay, so. To explain that, you have to basically explain two different concepts here. One is that just as matter is seemingly solid, but it's actually an illusion, so is time. Now, this one is very difficult to grasp because we are so used to thinking of time as this linear thing that, a linear thing that only runs from, you know, forwards, just a straight line. But These same scientists themselves have been discovering that time is anything but linear. It's more like this 3D holographic thing where you can choose coordinates in time and practically speaking, go to any place in time. It's, uh, you know, space-time as one thing. So when we think about the future or the past and we think of these as distinct um, places, let's say, or, or the past is gone forever, the future is not here, Scientists have been discovering that, no, it's all actually one continuous thing. And so all of your future selves are happening now. And your soul um, is, even though you can't see it, you can't perceive it here. And it's, quote unquote, in this other place in a different frequency, different dimension, if you want to call it. That's what you can think of as the spirit world or heaven or, you know, however people want to say it in their own belief system. It really has to do with just different dimensions of frequencies of vibrating energy, but they all exist at the same time. Now, to really understand that, we have to explore the concept of reincarnation, uh, because without that, it makes it very tough to understand what are these different selves. Now, from a religious perspective, there are a lot of people who do not believe in reincarnation. That's fine. I, you know, I don't want to uh, tell people that they have to believe in a concept that they don't believe in. But I think to be truly empowered human beings and live an empowered life, it's good to question your beliefs and ask yourself, well, where did I get these from? Do I believe in a certain thing because it's true, because I know I've experienced that it's true? Or do I believe in it because I've simply been taught since a young age that it's true? And a lot of people have been taught that reincarnation does not exist, that it's just not true. You have one life and that's it. And then there's either heaven or hell. Or that's just it. There's nothing after death. But let's look at the evidence instead of just going from pure belief. And there is a monumental amount of evidence when it comes to this. And the evidence comes from very different sources. It comes from children who remember their past lives, and there are researchers who have dedicated their whole careers to exploring this subject. 
There are also people who have had near-death experiences and some very notable figures too, and there's researchers that have uh, dissected that. And then there's regression or hypnotic therapy where people get put into this different state of mind and they access actual memories from other lifetimes. So now how do we know this, these are real, not just people's imagination? Well, it's because of the evidence. For instance, uh, you have Dr. Ian Stevenson, who's dedicated 30 years of his life to doing about 3,000 case studies of children who just have spontaneous memories of their previous lifetimes. Well, he would go and actually visit those children, and they would be talking about that. And a lot of times they'd be talking about who they were in a past life, and you know, they'd be saying, I'm from this area, and they've, in this lifetime, they've never been to that area. It's a completely different geographical place. And so the researcher would go to that place, and a lot of times the child themselves, maybe a five years old or whatever, would lead the researcher to that place without ever having been to that country. And they would lead them to their home, to their past home and their past life, and they would tell them the names of everyone. And when the researcher goes there, every single name is correct. And they would tell them things that are impossible to know. For instance, where they had buried some object, and they go dig it up, and that object is there. Or, you know, what some certain circumstances of a family member that no one else knew, and it would be right. And then to the point where they would even find a birthmark in the exact place where the previous self that they were had died, been, let's say been shot in the throat, and they'd find that birthmark in the throat, and then they'd even find one on the top of the head where the bullet wound exited in that last, time, last lifetime. So there'd be so many of these things, and after thousands of case studies, it became very clear that we're dealing with a real phenomena here. And then Jim Tucker, his associate, ended up actually doing forensic studies where he proved that these children have the same facial features that they did in their past lifetime, and with a very high degree of accuracy. And then you have other thing, other um, like hypnotic regression, where regardless of age, belief system, uh, where they're from, people say the same thing that before you come, before you're here, there's this life between life stage where you choose the body that you want to be born in because of the lessons you need to learn to evolve as a soul, and then you live that, and then when you die, you go back to there, and you have these cyclical reincarnations until you learn the lessons that you need to learn to evolve to a higher level. Now, to make this all simple, what are these lessons that we need to learn? And what is this higher level that we're evolving to? And so there, I can just give a kind of a simplified overview of the structure of reality, so to say. Uh, and then we can go from there into what, what this means in our lives and what it's really all about. So if you want to think about it, um, again, let's go back to the concept of an infinite creator, an all-powerful creator. Okay, now, a lot of people think of this creator as outside of themselves, as some entity that is independent, independent of them, that they pray to. But what I'm offering here is that let's assume that this creator is this infinite consciousness, and it is everything. Let's assume what it did was it, it separated itself into infinite aspects and we are those infinite aspects, and so is everything else. And that's why water has awareness and consciousness, and so do plants, and so do humans, and so does everything. Just a different way of perceiving. And this, the goal was to perceive itself in every possible way. But its true nature is unconditional infinite love. That is the nature of this creator. And it wanted to experience itself in every single way possible. 
And the whole purpose of existence itself is for these individual aspects of this infinite creator to experience every different perspective and then work their way up, evolve their way back to that experience of infinite love by learning lessons in challenging classrooms, let's say. That's what you can think of Earth as, as a challenging classroom where we are so tested and there is this veil and it does seem so real and yet it's an illusion. Well, that's purposeful. That's where we come back to what I was talking about before in the beginning where, well, why is this this dream and why is it an illusion? What would be the point of it? Well, if you think of yourself, your true self, as this infinite spirit, and now you want to learn about yourself more deeply, you want to have this more self-awareness of your true nature as love, what better way to do it than to split yourself off into these seemingly separate small aspects and then that don't remember their true nature and are in this illusion of physicality and then these aspects of you, this is what I mean by is when I say multidimensional, these aspects of you get to learn the lessons of love. You know, you're driving in traffic, someone cuts you off, you learn to be more loving. Uh, there's a country or a race of people that you dislike, you learn to be more loving, and so forth. And as you learn these lessons, your soul evolves, your consciousness gets raised as you work your way back up to the higher levels, and then so forth, back to the Creator. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, that makes a lot of sense. Ziad, you said in your book that we go through various incarnations as possibly starting as rocks and plants and animals, and it reminded me of a university curriculum where you actually learn the essence of, of the mineral world and being a rock or a crystal. And then you learn the essence of the plant world and photosynthesis and, and all of the, the cycles of nature. And then you go through the animal world and you learn about survival and you learn about procreation and, and so on. And it was so beautiful because I was thinking of let's say life between lives and when you get beyond the cycles of incarnation maybe you you start designing birds of paradise and you start designing new crystal formations and and you know just as a hobby i mean it just opens up a world of speculation and and lovely contemplation i i just uh, got totally carried away and uh, lost about half an hour on that. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know whether to thank you or blame you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really is a magical world. I mean, when you discover this, you realize uh, life and the world is so much more beautiful than we think it is. You know, we kind of kind of get into this, you know, monotonous way of living, this boring rhythm. And then you find out, no, no, this is really a truly magical place. And there's so many different dimensions to explore. And, and we can do it even while we're in this realm. But I think what it really comes down to and what I want to kind of turn to is, well, what's the purpose of this all? That's great. I mean, we can get caught up in, in thinking about this and it's beautiful. And we can even think about, could I have been other forms of life? And some people might resist that idea. I know I even did when I started. But when you think of if everything is just energy, what is the difference between an energy that coalesces into a human being versus that into an animal or a plant and why is this more important than that and why couldn't you have experienced 
yourself as that if you're just consciousness at the base of it. And so when you start looking at life in this way, it becomes, one, more beautiful, but two, let's talk about what it actually means and what it can do um, for you in your life to have this expanded view of reality. And what it all really comes down to is to find that deep fulfillment, that peace, uh, that joy that we all search for. I, find, I think we're all seekers, uh, whether we label ourselves that or, or not. We all feel this feeling of there's something missing. No matter how happy we are, we feel something inside is just missing. And we wonder what that is. And we ask ourselves, what's the purpose? Why am I here? And for me, it's really about one thing, which is love. And I'm not talking just romantic love. I'm talking about to learn how to be unconditionally loving, to see through the illusion in a way uh, while still being fully grounded in it and realizing that this is a difficult classroom and then to actually apply this different way of seeing to live a very different form of life. If we look at the world as it is today with all the problems and the wars and all the things, what is the true issue what is the true problem the problem isn't uh, what we perceive on the outside the real problem is the belief in separation it's the belief that you are different from me and you are apart from me and i have nothing to do with you and so it, it and it kind of brings this selfish way of living where i put my needs ahead of the needs of, so, of someone else whereas if we understand no no we are just one energy experiencing itself in all these multitude of forms then why is one more important than the other even if that one happens to be the me that i think that i am and I think if more people start thinking in this way, it becomes such a more beautiful world and the peace that we're looking for will happen. I think people have become jaded and so disempowered, especially when you look at the news and all that gets shoved in our face. Um, and people don't, they kind of form this victim mentality of I can't do anything about it. That's just the way the world is. Well, I completely disagree. I think the way the world is this way because of our consciousness. And when we choose to awaken and lift our consciousness and perceive in a different way, then the world will change because we will be much more loving and much more kind and much more forgiving. Um, if we look at it, you know, religions, I mean, there's so many different religions and people war over it. But in reality, what is the true message of all religions. It's forgiveness, it's love, it's peace. Now, what you'll find, though, is people saying, well, I'm a believer, I believe in this, but then they're judging others who believe something different in themselves. Well, really, the only thing is to just live that message and see the other as another aspect of you, as this one energy that is shared between you, uh, between you both, and to understand that even if they do something to hurt you, that does not mean that you just condone it. That's not what, you know, forgiveness means. You can do something, for instance, let's say someone, um, you know, in business screws you over. Well, being forgiving and loving does not mean just letting yourself become a walkover and not taking them to court. You can do what is necessary on the physical level, respect the illusion, so to say, yet have love in your heart and understand that person's only acting in that way because of their pain that is inside of them because they don't truly understand their true nature. They don't understand that there is a much bigger aspect of them that is here. They don't understand their purpose because they're so sucked into the illusion of separation. And so when you do that, what happens is you can live your life normally in the world, but 
you will be helping change the world as you do so because you will not be living it from this perspective of judgment and you know um, hatred and so forth but you will be having a very dis different perspective which as we see can change the world like those 7,000 meditators that ch literally change the world now what if it's not 7,000 but 7 million people are acting like this and thinking like this the world will change and so that's part of the reason why I even wanted to write this book is to kind of share these views and help people to awaken to this different reality mm -hmm. you you talk about putting being before doing what did you mean by that yeah so basically what I mean by that is if we do awaken to this reality let's say we start seeing through this veil through this illusion we realize oh okay fine this is about love and this is about raising my consciousness and I want to help others what often happens is that we start thinking well I got to do something I got to go out there and write a book let's say <laughs> or I got to go out there and, and advocate for peace and I got to march and I got to stand up against injustice and there's nothing wrong with any of those things but first we have to understand that what is the purpose? Why are we here? If, as Shakespeare said, the whole world's a stage and we're merely actors, which now I think he meant it very literally, again, understanding reality. Um, if that's the case and the purpose is to just come back to love and to under discover our true nature and evolve, then we have to understand that how and why we do something is much more important than what we do. And so, for example, in the book, I give an example of my belief that someone who is running a global nonprofit organization that's fighting injustice and helping a lot of people, but doing so with anger and hatred in their heart towards those who are oppressing people, is doing less to help humanity than a simple mom or dad that is just washing the dishes with love and treating everyone kindly in their, in their life with love. Now that seems like a crazy statement. How could that be? One person's trying to change the world, another person's not really doing anything. But that's exactly what I mean by putting being before doing. When we understand that numbers don't technically mean something, that in reality everything is connected, that it's the energy with which you do something and the intent that really matters, not what you do. You can help the world just by being who you are, doing what you do, using your own gifts, and that could be just being a good parent or a good friend or whatever it is, but doing so with love in your heart and non-judgment of others. Whereas if you are trying to save the world but doing it with anger and hatred and 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 that type of attitude, what you're doing is that's the energy you're putting out, even if it's helping on a physical level, on the deeper spiritual level, it's not really helping. The energy is just reinforcing that vicious cycle and it's going to cause only more problems. So that's what I mean by putting being before doing. It's realizing that you can change the world just by being you, but with an attitude of love and kindness and non-judgment towards others and yourself. Well, we all try to do our best and think we're doing our best, but there are, there are all kinds of little traps like that where, where uh, we get sucked in. What are some of the other traps on the spiritual journey that you highlight in your book? Yeah, so this is something very important because it's so easy to fall into what I call subtle traps. And so there's two main ones. One is what I call happiness versus true fulfillment where we fall into this trap or what I call the 
pleasure pain principle. Actually, it's you know been called that by many, and it's about thinking that. What is outside of us will make us happy. If I'm successful, I'll be happy. If I find true love, quote-unquote, I'll be happy. If I have kids, I'll be happy. And all we're doing there is becoming a victim of circumstances and thinking that the outside can give us happiness. And um, what we really need to do is find that joy within ourselves and, again, be ourselves and, and extend that outwards and then the, the outer circumstances will change to reflect that. That's number one. But number two, in a much more subtle trap, is the trap of positive thinking. And a lot of people have heard of the law of attraction. Now, I don't think there's anything long, wrong with that law, and I think it exists on some level, and positive thinking is great. But here's where the subtle trap happens. When someone's on a spiritual path, it's very easy to start thinking, well, I'm a spiritual person, so I should not have wrong thoughts about others, and I should always be loving. And we set up these perfectionistic standards for ourselves, right? But when I say be loving and kind and non-judgmental, I don't mean be perfect. Because if you were perfect, you wouldn't be in human form right now. You'd be more evolved. Okay, so let's just establish that right now, that we need to be here for a reason. Okay, so if that's the case, then what you need to do is not just force yourself to only have positive thoughts because in your unconscious or subconscious mind, the negativity or the darkness is still there. We all have that. We're here to heal that. So we're not only here to love others. We're here to practice non-judgmentalness on ourselves. Ziad, what is your website? My website is realityunveiled.com. The book is going to be launched uh, right now. It's set to launch on February 16th. So if anyone visits, visits the site, they can click on a button there and that'll just put them on a list to be notified when the book is launched because there'll be a big promotion at the time of launch. Uh, my point is not to make money from the book, but just spread it as many people as possible. And they can have a free gift that's an ebook that I've written there, uh, which is a very important subject, which is how to stop losing your temper with your loved ones, which I think is something that we all find <laughs> difficult and we judge ourselves. So I kind of have created uh, this way along the lines of what I'm talking about here in the book um, to help with that. So just wanted to mention that. Is your book available only through your website or is it on other sites as well? No. No. So it's going to be made available. It's going to launch on February 16th on Amazon uh, via Kindle and paperback. And then in the following months, it'll be available through many different channels all over, but initially exclusively on uh, Amazon. And again, if someone signs up, they'll be notified on the launch date and a big promotion. Very good. So that's realityunveiled.com. Mm -hmm. So we were yes. talking before the break about unconditional love, and sometimes it is really, really difficult to keep that emotion foremost when you're feeling actually rather negative. So what is the point of our shadow side? Yes, that's a great question. So... Basically, the point when we talk about being unconditionally loving in this human form that we think we're in right now, even though there's an aspect of us that is what I would say perfect, uh, let's say a perfect soul or spirit, and then there's this imperfect human that we're experiencing ourselves to be in this moment. And so this human can never 
be perfect in and of itself, whereas the other aspect of us already is. Now, they, when I was talking about time being an illusion, they both exist simultaneously. It seems like we're evolving into a future self that's going to be perfect, but in, in reality, they both exist at the same time. Now, the key is mm-hmm. when you are trying to be loving, and sometimes you're just not. You have this, this dark aspect of yourself. You have anger, you have jealousy, you have rage, you have all these different emotions that you don't know what to do with. The point is not to feel bad or guilty that you have these feelings even though you feel like you want to be spiritual. It's to understand that the very essence of the spiritual path or or unconditional, just being unconditionally loving, even if you don't define yourself as spiritual, is to be kind to yourself first. So the way the process works is that let's say you're going through the day and you want to be loving towards people, but then you notice you have this very negative, quote-unquote, bad thought, and you start judging yourself. Well, the first thing to notice is that it's okay. Ask yourself, what would unconditional love tell you? Would it reprimand you? Would it say, oh, my God, how could you have had that thought? You should be spiritual? Of course not. Unconditional love would say, it's okay. It's always okay. Right? That's the only response that it could be. So when you notice yourself having some kind of judgment or negativity or something, the the real thing is not to feel bad because you weren't being kind. The real thing is to completely forgive yourself. And then you are doing the work. You are on the path. You have not slipped off the path. That is the very essence of it. So in what it is is trying to be as loving and kind as possible to others. And every time you notice you're not, completely forgive yourself and be as loving and kind as you can to yourself. The point of the shadow, as we call it, or as Carl Jung called it, the great psychologist, is to really um, give us the opportunity to practice unconditional love even on this personal physical self that we think we are, which is the closest one to us and the one that is usually the one we judge the most. We're all the harshest towards ourselves. And so if you have some, let's say, some kind of issue, you struggle with anger like I have since I was a kid or something like that. Well, the point is that on a soul level, you might have chosen to be born in a body that has these, let's say, anger issues or has gone through something to create those issues so you can be unconditionally loving towards yourself and forgive yourself and see this inner innocence in yourself and give compassion to it just as you do towards others. So it really is only one response. All this sounds so complex, but when you get down to it, it's one simple response. It's always okay. It's always a welcoming and embracing of whatever happens outside and inside, understanding that this is the lesson. This is why you're here to begin with. Mm. Not something outside. Very very important. Now, you have some really interesting awakening practices in your book. Can you give us some examples? Sure. So basically what I've done is I've split the book into two parts. So part one talks about all this science in as simple terms as possible. So anyone, even any non-scientist, any person can understand it and can make sense of it. Um, And it gives a structured view of reality that is hidden to us. Okay. And so that part basically gives you this kind of roadmap or this understanding of the deepest questions about life that we've always asked and kind of puts things in in a much different perspective. Part two is all about applying all of this new perspective to live this different life of love and, and peace and fulfillment and help yourself and the world in the process. So part two, at the end of each chapter, there's awakening practices, which are very practical 
let's just say like mini meditations or visualizations that help you apply unconditional love towards others. So for instance, as one example, there's one awakening practice called, called the embrace of love. And so that practice, as it's detailed, is basically about, um, you know, you sit there and you basically start feeling from your heart love and anyone can do that if it helps to think of someone first but you can feel this love and then let it wash all over your body and embrace yourself and even every aspect that you don't like about yourself and then you go and you embrace all your surroundings then your neighborhood then as you're doing that you think of people you don't like and you let that love embrace them and if you find it hard you think of this inner pain or this inner child that is in pain within them that is causing them to act in a hurtful way and you embrace that i always tell people you know everyone who hurts you if you could see them as a child and and every one of us has this inner hurt child inside of us that is in pain that's been traumatized by not receiving unconditional love throughout our lives especially in childhood no matter how good our parents were and if that child came knocking at your door crying would you just shut the door in his face? But that's what we do to ourselves and to everyone else. And if you can see this child of everyone that's in them, then you can really learn to have compassion and embrace. And so as you're doing this kind of awakening practice, you can do that and embrace others. And you go out and embrace the world. And you embrace countries that you hate, that you think are oppressing the world. But you realize that the only way that will change is through love, not through hating them, not through opposing them with anger. You can oppose them in the physical world. You can boycott. You can do all that stuff. But it's the attitude with which you do it that's going to actually change the world. So that's one of the awakening practices. And then the book ends basically with a seven-day process. So what I really wanted to do was to make this book not something that someone just reads and goes, wow, that's very interesting, but to be something that's very practical, that can change someone's life and change the world as we know it. And so with after all the different awakening practices, there is what I call the epilogue, a week of awakening. And so this is about taking this and practicing it on a very practical level every single day. And it's by applying different types of practices. First, by reminding yourself on basically an hourly basis of your purpose here, of your commitment to be unconditionally loving. But then seeing the, through the entire day, seeing through a different perspective. So for instance, you know, on one of the days you go around and instead of seeing people as their physical self and thinking that is their reality, see the true perfect spirit behind that and see that they've just, this is just a classroom and see that this is an illusion. And even if they do something that you hate or you think of them as bad people, quote unquote, that, that is not their true self and relate to them as their true self and see this being that is in pain, that is hurt, that is feeling disconnected from that source and so have compassion for them. That is one of the examples of one of the days. Another day would be to go throughout the day and see everyone as you. Imagine what it would be like to know that everyone is actually you in a different form. Not you as, you know, Miriam or Ziad, but you as in the greater sense, the spirit that encompasses everyone else's being. And so how would you act if you, everyone you were ever to meet is you? Would you really be that hateful or would you be compassionate? And another day you can go and you can see everything have the whole perspective of through the entire day of everything being a lesson that you chose from another level to help you learn. So how would it be like if instead of thinking life is happening to you, 
you realize life is happening for you. That everything that happens, you including all your problems, are happening for your own greater benefit, gently planned by this bigger aspect of you to teach you these uh, lessons of unconditional love. And if you can do that, that changes you and that changes the world. So those are some of the different types of awakening practices and there's many more that can be used on a very practical everyday level. While you live a normal life, someone that sees you would see you just being normal, but inside of you, things are different. You are seeing different and because of that, you're acting different and that has ripple effects that affects the entire world, not just your own life. Ziad, what is your uh, expectation of the book? Do you think that it would be well received in in the Middle East, for example? Uh, in fact, I do. I've already shared it with quite a few people that I know, and I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that there is an awakening throughout the world. There are people that I've met, some people very close to me, some friends that I've known for years that I had no clue would be interested in these subjects, and then I find that they are so deeply interested, and they are so open to it. And I think it's not everyone will be. I understand that. There are people who are different level, at different levels of the evolution process, and no one's better than anyone else. Someone that's ahead is not better than someone that's seemingly behind. We all get to the exact same place in the end. But it's, it's, I do think that there's definitely the shift and this major awakening happening globally, no matter where you are. Uh, people are interested in meditating. People are interested in, in, in these deeper subjects. And so I think it's already being well-received. I've already gotten great feedback from a lot of people from all different walks of life um, and no matter where. So, yeah, I think whoever's meant to find it will find it. That's Nothing happens by accident. Indeed. Well, I'm so glad that you have uh, brought it into the world, and I want to thank you for being with us today. Ziad Masri, author thank you of so much. Reality Unveiled. Thank you. And thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us next week. I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Many blessings on your day, on your week, and go forward and be a light in the world. Goodbye.